welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. You know, the cool part about this job that I have is that I get a chance to interview friends of mine who have done great things. And today is a day like none other because I get to interview uh, the mayor of one of the most amazing cities in the United States of America, St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, shout out to Madam Mayor Tashara Jones. What's happening, homie? How are you? Hey, Bakari. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We start each one of our episodes by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. And yours has been one largely in public service. You were kind of born into it. I mean, the dynamics around you and in your life are very well known. But take us through your time in the state legislature to being city treasurer and now being mayor. Why did you choose this career in public life? And for all the bullshit we have to deal with when our lives are in the public eye, what keeps you in public service? Well, I got a secret for your listeners today. Um, I always didn't want to be in public service. Um, you know, there are certain things that are part of your DNA and your genetic makeup that you can't deny. And my mother, God rest her soul, always used to tell me the quickest way, the quickest way to make God laugh is to tell him what you will never do. And so I, I grew up thinking that, you know, politics was not for me uh, because my father was in politics and his career didn't end on the greatest note. So I, um, I had a career in, in, private, in private service, but always dealing with the public. So I worked in healthcare, healthcare administration. Um, I worked at, at uh, TWA, uh, what used to be American Airlines, um, and you know, always doing stuff related to the public. So I became a committee woman in 2002. Um, and then uh, went to the state legislature right before I went to the state, state legislature. I um, had my son. So he's known other he's known no other career for his mommy um, and uh, was in the state legislature for two terms, uh, became Missouri's first black female assistant minority floor leader. And then after that, um, became treasurer for two terms and ran for mayor once and lost, came back again and ran for mayor again. And the rest they say is history. And let me tell you that both of these runs were hard as hell and they were very well deserved. And the second campaign you ran, I think you learned a lot of lessons from the first, but was an amazingly run race. I always tell folks that being mayor of a big city is the second hardest job in American politics behind president of the United States. And you add on that fact that you are mayor of a progressive city in a deeply red state. Unpack for our listeners, how do you lead a city that isn't aligned politically with your state leadership in Jefferson City? Oh, uh, that requires a lot of prayer and a lot. Well, of just go ahead and unpack it. We got time. <laughs> it like I said, it requires a lot of prayer and a lot of bourbon. Um, but <laughs> I will say that. Um, my governor and I have a decent relationship because we were in the legislature at the same time. I was in the House while he was in the Senate. So there is a level of mutual respect there uh, that a lot of I would say doesn't exist in a lot of you know mayors who have who are blue cities in, in red states. Um, and we work on the things we agree on and we you know, the things that we don't agree on, we just don't talk about it. We compartmentalize a lot and we agree on expanding pre-K. We we agree on increasing access to workforce development, and we agree on infrastructure. So those are the things that we work on. Um, I will say that it's difficult when you have an attorney general um, who is constantly suing school districts and cities for trying to keep our people safe in these COVID times. 
that is the more difficult part because I also served with him and I know that he doesn't believe any of the things that he's doing, uh, but he's all he's only doing this because he wants to run for U.S. Senate and he's trying to have this sort of shock and awe campaign to try to uh, lift himself up and, and be a U.S. Senator, which I hope all Missourians are seeing through that. Let, let's talk about that for a minute, because both you and I have, although we're still really young, um, especially compared to Democratic leadership in D.C., but although we're still really young, we have been around this thing for a long time. I got elected back in 2006, it seems like. That's almost 20 years ago. Goodness gracious. Um, how has the Republican Party changed over that 15-year period? Because I was in the Southern legislature where you could just still get along with folk. They weren't going to ever vote with you, but you didn't have this, like, crazy street where you didn't know what exactly was going on. How has this party changed over the tenure of your service? Oh, it has changed dr drastically over the tenure of my service. I got elected right after you in 2008 um, when I went to the legislature. And back then you could still work together on things and bipartisanship was not a dirty word. Uh, there are things that I worked on with my uh, Republican colleagues that benefited all Missourians. Like I passed a bill about uh, expanding insurance for children with autism spectrum disorders. And the primary sponsor was a Republican. Um, worked on a bill about making sure, or, or passed a bill about making sure that women know what their options are for uh, donating their core blood after they deliver babies because core blood uh, is a cure for sickle cell anemia. Worked on that with a Republican. But nowadays, I mean, I think that the advent of social media has, has definitely uh, decreased our, our civil discourse in this country. That's no question. Let's dive into one of the major issues, if not the number one issue. I talked to you about it. I talked to Randall about it. Frank Scott, um, my friend Andre Dickens just had to jump in knee deep. They just had a, a young baby that was killed and then a white woman that was killed in Brookhaven. And so it's been extremely tough for Andre as he's getting off the ground. But talk about how you've been able to get a handle on violent crime in St. Louis. And what lessons are there in St. Louis's experience for other cities to learn from you think because one of the things that you've done is you have taken this issue by the reins and although around the country we've seen this spike in violent crime since the pandemic it's a COVID spike during the pandemic st louis has been a city where under your leadership they've managed it better than most yes uh we are very fortunate in that um our crime is decreasing uh since i took office and uh, i'll be honest with you it's been simple things that we've been doing uh, we've been using data to uh to guide our deployment of our officers uh we've used uh, a we have a cops and clinicians program that pairs a behavioral health specialist with a licensed officer um and they go out into the neighborhoods and on different calls and they diffuse situations we have several community violence intervention initiatives like Cure Violence and Focus Deterrence uh, that are really starting to change lives of people in the neighborhoods that they touch. And we, we have community partnerships with the Urban League and the Organization for Black Struggle and other community-based organizations because it's going to take everybody. It's not just one solution. And that's, I think, the thing that gets lost in the narrative nationally. It's not just more cops. It's not just you know, more community-based initiative. It's both and. It's all of these things at the table. One of the unique things that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, community violence interruption, where cities hire trusted community members to intervene as peacekeepers before violent crime happens. St. Louis is one of the cities that's doing this along with the DOJ. Talk about that work and how important is it for us to be elevating non-law enforcement methods for achieving community safety 
and what that work looks like in St. Louis? Well, we have to be honest with ourselves in that there is a trust issue between the community and law enforcement. And so our Cure Violence program takes trusted messengers, tr trusted interveners, people who are of the community and from the community. Some of them have are, are, are uh, justice adjacent themselves and just getting out of jail. Um, and so they uh, canvass our com the community that they're located in. Um, they uh, sometimes the, the intervention is as simple as giving a brother a cigarette uh, to calm him down. So and it's so, you know, those examples, it's not a lot, but just having being present in the community and knowing that those violence interrupters have their communities back uh, has been tremendous for the neighborhoods that they're operating in. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. So if you had, I mean, this is a fictitious question, but whatever. It's my show. I can do what I want to do. But if you had unlimited resources, what other actions would you take to control gun violence in St. Louis. You know, if resources or constraints weren't an issue, what would be the most impactful for you as a mayor in tackling violent crime? Well, it's no secret that most violent crime occurs in poor and black neighborhoods. So we have to change the environment where our people live. So that means uh, improving the condition where our people are living and, and thriving. So if I had a magic wand, I would uh, uh, I would wave it over North St. Louis and parts of South St. Louis that haven't seen investment in decades, um, uh, fixing up uh, old houses, building new houses, bringing in commercial development and, and connecting those people to jobs, uh, because someone who's picking up a paycheck is picking up a gun you know, with thriving wages, not just, you know, 10 or $12 an hour, we're talking $20, $30 an hour. Um, I would bring, again, bringing more commercial development there because active and thriving neighborhoods aren't seeing a lot of crime and increasing home ownership and addressing the appraisal bias. So, so uh, we can build generational wealth and, and reduce the racial wealth gap. If you're picking up a paycheck, you're not picking up a gun. I'm stealing that one. That's going mm -hmm. whenever. I don't know if I'm ever have another campaign in me, but if I do, I'm taking that one. Taking <laughs> that one. You know, just last week in the news, we saw uh, a bridge collapse in Pittsburgh right before the president went there. But if we're honest about it, that could have been a, just about any city in America. Can yeah. you talk about how much the Biden administration's infrastructure plan matters to St. Louis? And the question people probably are listening for, how you intend to spend all that money? So the, the Biden-Harris uh, uh, infrastructure package is going to be huge for St. Louis in a couple of ways. Uh, number one, we we plan on applying to uh, expand our public transit options, really connecting people to jobs. There has been a, um, a Metrolink line that we've been trying to expand that's going to go directly into Black neighborhoods. Um, and then also our water infrastructure. You know, water is, is life. 
and we're trying to upgrade our, our, our water infrastructure. Uh, so we'll be applying for grants and loans to do that as well. But those are the top two things uh, that I am most concerned of, of course, you know, filling our potholes and, and uh, redoing our streets and our bridges. There are, there's a list that our director of uh, public safety has a, a whole list of bridges and roads that he wants to fix uh, and we'll apply for that too. But number one is expanding public transit and fixing our water system. You know, uh, Omicron has reminded us that, that COVID wasn't over. And basically, I'm at the point now where I'm just telling folk that Omicron and COVID are coming to your house. We dodged it for about two years, and it snuck up in here about a month ago. Mm. Um, and that blue blue city, red state dynamic is particularly tense when it comes to the politics, as you were talking about, of vaccines, mandates, masks, and so mm. forth. How have you managed that dynamic? And do you think the American Rescue Plan has given cities enough support to manage the ongoing threats that COVID poses to local governments? Well, we've been very lucky in that the American Rescue Plan gave St. Louis $500 million, which is half of our budget. Uh, so we are using that to get more shots in arms, to increase education, to increase, um, uh, to give people the, the things that they need to uh, to continue to survive this pandemic. We're giving out direct payments to people in the t uh, to the tune of $500 per family. Um, as soon as we opened that portal for people to apply, we had to shut it down after four days. So, um, you know, we're we're trying to use the the ARPA funds to uh, to directly affect the lives of, of people who are still suffering through this pandemic. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. One of the reasons that I got you on this show, and we have an opportunity to interview a lot of folk, but I think that most people would say that you are a truth to power type of woman, and you always, always speak your truth. So. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, I wanted to zoom out a little bit. And I think that we find ourselves somewhat on the same wavelength when we're talking about national messaging, because 22 is upon us and the midterms are upon us. And if I had to bet today, I'd say we lose the House and may barely keep the Senate. But Democratic messaging sucks, is my opinion right now. Um, and we've seen some legislative victories like the ones we just talked about. But what do you think national Democrats need to do in order to course correct? Because the polling is telling us that folks just don't believe in us or our messaging right now. 
I, I think they need to tell the truth and, and shame the devil, right? So um, no more was that more prevalent than the last uh, Virginia governor's race where um, Youngkin ran on fear and he ran on lies like critical race theory is going to be coming to schools when we know that that's not even the case. And um, I don't think his opponent did a good job at fighting back against that narrative. We have to call a spade a spade. And we have to be forceful in our messaging and not dance around the edges. Um, you know, Repub you know what Republicans stand for, but not so much Democrats. Amen. We have to, we have, I mean, and, and, and you know, some may think that I'm I'm wrong for saying this, but we we have to say these are the democratic values that we stand for. And if you don't stand for these values, then you know, we you know, come on, we 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 gotta move forward. You know, it's not and, like you talking about voting rights, but I hear you. Voting rights, exactly. Um, you know taking care of people and making sure that everybody pays their fair share. You know, you and I know what Democrats stand for because we're in it. We're in the thick of it. But, you know, the average everyday person doesn't. And so we have to be more uh, succinct and more uh, direct with our messaging. And we just aren't. So what role do, you, do mayors play in connecting the dots between what happens in Washington and what's happening on the ground? And do you feel like this administration and the DNC are properly properly legislating um, or leveraging mayors like you on the ground to connect the dots for voters? You know, I think that they're they're doing a good job um, because uh, the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs, uh, there aren't too many times that we don't hear from them at least once, twice, I don't know how many times per week. And I am fortunate in that I am a mayor that also sits on the advisory board of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. So I get more attention from the White House than the average mayor. But I do think that uh, they can help other mayors from cities smaller than mine by providing technical assistance to to apply for all of these grants and programs that are coming out of the Department of Transportation, you know, with the infrastructure bill. And I told that directly to them the last time I visited the White House. I said, yeah, you know, big cities like mine will be fine. We have the staff that, was, that, that can write the reports and write the grants. But smaller cities are where the, the rubber meets the road. Um, and so we need to make sure that our that not only our big cities are taken care of, but our smaller cities as well. Now, don't get disinvited from the Easter egg roll or nothing with this one, but how would you grade the Biden administration, particularly when it comes to black communities like St. Louis, and what things can they do specifically with respect to black folks that can boost what is appearing to be lagging approval ratings and people just not caring um, from the most reliable Democratic voting bloc just ahead of the midterms this fall? They need to be more visible. They have to be more visible. Um, and I said, I said, Kamala need to get out of D.C. And people thought I had said something wrong or something. She just got to get out the bubble and be on black radio and talk to black newspapers and black mayors. Um, when you look at the, the number of black mayors that we have right now, I'm calling this the new reconstruction. When you look at the number of black mayors that we have across this country of major cities, most major cities in the, in the United States right now are run by people of color. Um, so this is an opportunity for the Biden-Harris administration to really take advantage of their relationship with mayors because we are where the rubber meets the road. Uh, you know, everything changes on the local government level. And uh, and Vice President Harris needs to be out here making uh, getting to know us because we're th we're the ones that are going to lift her up when uh, as they continue to try to tear her down. My last question for you today is I want to talk about St. Louis real quick before we get out of here, because I feel like it's one of those great American cities with a rich history, but also it's a rich cultural scene. Now, y'all barbecue over it. But anyway, 
Uh, how does St. Louis stack up against other Midwestern cities like Kansas City or Chicago or Milwaukee? And what don't most Americans know or understand about your city? Well, number one, when you come back out, you you aren't getting the right barbecue. So let's start. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Go ahead. We go. <laughs> number one, uh, but how we stack up against most mid, mid, Midwestern cities? I think St. Louis is the best kept secret when it comes to Midwestern cities. We're affordable. Uh, we're four hours away from everything. When you think of, if you draw a four hour circle around St. Louis, you can get to a whole host of great cities within a four hour drive, Memphis, Kansas City, Chicago, Indianapolis. And it's a good place to raise a family. We have a rich art scene. We're the best sports fans in the world with the Cardinals and the Blues and soon to be a soccer team. Um, and then we've got great food. You know, St. Louis is a foodie town outside of barbecue. If you come to St. Louis, there are some restaurants you, that you can hit that would just knock your socks off. Well, you know, I love you, Tashar. And I know that you are, um, you've overcome so much. And so many people who thought you would never be sitting in that seat. And there you are wearing the crown that you so richly deserve. I know your family proud of you because yeah. we are proud of you. Tashar, I love you. Kiss the family for me. And thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. And kiss the babies and the wife for me, please. You know, I will. I'll see you soon, babe. Oh, tell you, this gonna be a